Welcome to Public Narrative, A Word with Jamira Alexander. I'm your host, Jamira Alexander, President and Executive Director of Public Narrative, a community media resource nonprofit based right here in Chicago that champions narrative change through workshops, training, programming, and research, building more authentic relationships between media makers, nonprofits, and you, the community. A Word is the chance to bring different guests on the show that can help us better understand some of the pertinent issues our communities face when it comes to public safety, education, and health. Ahead of National Make a Difference Day, which is every fourth Saturday of October, and this year it falls on October 28th, I have two special difference makers joining me today. A resilient social justice advocate, having studied law, practice social work, organized for eliminating poverty, and currently directing a reimagined government program, Brianna Parker, Senior Director of the Justice 40 Accelerator, will join me later on. But first, our country's national crime is lynching. That's a quote once said by the pioneering investigative journalist Ida B. Wells. It was one of the many poignant references that her great-granddaughter, Michelle Duster, shared during her speech last year at the White House following President Joe Biden's signing of the Emmett Till anti-lynching law, making lynching a hate crime for the first time in U.S. history. As an author, educator, and public historian, Michelle Duster has spent more than 30 years amplifying the social justice contributions of women and Black people in this country. That list includes her great-grandmother, the late Ida B. Wells, and Emmett Till's mother, Mamie Till. Michelle, thank you for being here with me today. Thank, thanks for having me, Jamira. Of course, <laughs> of course. Help me understand the inspiration behind continuing your great-grandmother's legacy. Well, I feel that I am creating my own legacy versus continuing somebody else's legacy. Um, but I am incorporating my great grandmother's legacy and the work that she did into my bigger goal, which is to make sure that this country does not erase um, us as a people. And, um, and we can celebrate not only ourselves, but the rest of the country can celebrate who we are. Because as a people, we've contributed an extraordinary amount to this country, and we cannot let let that be forgotten. Absolutely, and and based on just as much as I know of the collaborations that you've done, particularly around Columbia College with the installation of three of the murals uh, celebrating the women's suffrage movement, can you share a little bit about that that project? Yeah, so it started actually, the, the concept um, started in 2019. So it's been a little bit of a journey um, getting these murals up. There are a total of three murals. Um, one um, features 10 different uh, suffrage leaders from the Chicagoland area. There are 10 portraits of these women from different generations and it's multiculturally um, represented. Um, and then we have two other murals. One um, is text-based with the quote, I'm speaking, that was said by Vice President Kamala Harris during the debate in 2020. And then we have the Votes for Women Yellow Rose, yes. um, which was the symbol um, during the suffrage movement in the late um, 1800s, early 1900s. Nice. This, is, this has been like really inspiring to see take shape. You say that this project initiated in 2019, so I can only imagine the hurdles that you all have overcome. <laughs> like what has really pressed you to move forward in leading projects like those? 
Well, I mean, I think it started a long time ago, way, way back when I was in college. Um, I went to a predominantly white, predominantly male school, um, Dartmouth College, um, at the time it was. And um, as a double, triple minority, triple meaning that I was also from the Midwest, (laughs) um, (laughs) um, I just felt so... Um, like there were a lot of assumptions about who I was and where I was from that a lot of my classmates seemed to have. Mm -hmm. And so it made me wonder where are they getting these ideas from? And I concluded it was from the media. Mm -hmm. And so even, so in college I made a decision like I want to help change the narrative because people are coming at me, you know, asking me these absurd questions. Um, And so I felt it was so important to contribute to the actual truth mm-hmm. of what the South Side of Chicago is like, mm-hmm. what uh, African Americans, uh, what our past and present experiences are. Um, and so I just have really wanted to contribute to helping to educate people who don't know us and to help those of us feel a sense of pride and be able to celebrate ourselves. Yes. Thank you, Michelle. We'll be right back with the word. I'm Connie Lindsay, one of your hosts for Joy in the Breakthrough. On our next episode, Anna and I welcome Dr. Terry Raby. How can I take care of me instead of depending on outside sources to do that for you? You don't want to miss this conversation. Tune in this Monday at 7 p.m. on CanTV Channel 19, streaming on CanTV.org, and now available on the new CanTV Plus app. Experience the power of community television. Welcome back to Public Narrative, A Word. Michelle, thanks again for being here today. You were sharing a little bit before the break about how you got involved in this work and why, how you were inspired to change the narrative. Can you go into a little more detail? Yes, well, I spent over 30 years working in various mediums um, in order to uh, make an impact on the imagery and the story um, that's told about African Americans. Um, I started in advertising as a copywriter. I've worked in marketing, communications, public programming, um, and most most recently in the last 15 years, I started writing my own books, Mm -hmm. um, editing um, work that I thought was important for people to have access to. And then I've worked on several projects that are um, for in public spaces. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really inspiring how you're, you know, pulling from history and I mean, the record is there, it's very clear. How are you sharing the, that history with younger generations? Well, okay, the thing is that, I mean, yes, obviously um, African-Americans, we've, we've been through a lot yes. um, in this country. And um, that was one of the issues that I started to have with some of the narrative that was being told was that it was just all trauma, all, you know, um, negative, like all these, oh my God, we've overcome so much. Mm-hmm. We've, we've had so many problems. And I'm like, you know, there's joy. Yes. There's, there's some good times, <laughs> yes. you know, there's some things that we, um, you know, we celebrate. And and we have fun. All of these things are part of our experience. Absolutely, absolutely. And right, many of us uh, have been a part of the great, or at least our, our ancestors, of course, have been a part of the great migration, uh, migrating from the South here to Chicago. I know my family is from Holly Springs, Mississippi, <laughs> and Marshall County. And it was really incredible to learn from my family. Uh, we came to Chicago in 1954, and to really learn, you know, of my family's lineage and and just our own journey and, and how we've navigated Chicago. Can you share a little bit more about uh, your your own lineage? 
Well, I mean, I'm a great-granddaughter of Ida B. Wells, which is the most famous uh, Mm. family member that I have. Um, But she married Ferdinand Barnett, um, who was... Uh, you know, he was a very accomplished person on his own. He was a an attorney, um, which was very unusual in the mm-hmm. 1890s um, for an African American man to be an attorney and have his own law firm. He also um, owned the first black-owned newspaper in Chicago called the Conservator. Um, and then, so they got married here in, in 1895, and they had four children. Their youngest daughter was my grandmother. Her name was Alfreda Barnett. Mm-hmm. She had five children, um, and her middle son was my father, Donald Duster. Mm-hmm. And um, in that generation, my father's generation, they all went to college and mm-hmm. all got graduate degrees, yes. which is incredible for people who were born in the 1930s. Mm-hmm. Um, and or even well, one of my uncles was born in the 1920s. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you know, my brothers and I look at our family, and we're like, we we have a long tradition, multiple generations of being highly educated, highly professional, um, and sort of defying stereotypes and and trailblazing in our own generation. Absolutely. Um, We've kind of continued on with whatever we can do during our time. It's it's a very powerful testament. And and, uh, certainly the work that you've done, you're a best-selling author, uh, public speaker, public historian. It's really incredible how you're able to help encourage a narrative that isn't always told. What has it been like to really amplify a lot of black joy across Chicago? Well, I mean, I feel like I'm amplifying joy and also accomplishments. Yes. Um, Because I, I I mean, every time I turn on certain programs, it's just, oh my God, okay, police brutality and, you know, over-incarceration and, you know, poverty and this and that, which are all true. Mm -hmm. Those are part of our experiences as a collective, as a community, but we, but that's not the only part of our mm-hmm. story. Um, and so I want people to know the achievements that we've had and the accomplishments that we've had, as well as the joy that we've had and just the, the whole full full human experience. We mm-hmm. are multidimensional people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, unfortunately, you know, during my time and time before me and, bef- and time after me, those type of stories are not included in enough um, Volume, as far as I'm concerned, in in school curriculum, yeah. um, and even other forms of media. You know, a lot of um, films that are made, a lot of TV shows that are made. I mean, they're just full of stereotypes mm-hmm. and and. Um, skew towards one kind of experience um, and it's not balanced in my opinion yes. and so there's nothing wrong with what exists but it's just it cannot be the only story Absolutely. so I'm trying to add to the you know diversity of our Absolutely. experience can you let us into your process when you prepare to write a new book uh, or work on another project what what is the indicator that this is the, the exact thing you need to work on in this moment in time that's kind of a hard question to answer. <laughs> I mean, I just, I'm part of our society. I live here in Chicago. Um, you know, I feel like I see most things that other people see, most things. I'm, I'm clueless about certain things. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm just kind of doing, living my life, and then all of a sudden I'll, like, have an idea. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, for instance, with the suffrage movement, um, the centennial of the suffrage movement was in 2020, and um, there were some projects that were going on around the country 
that I was aware of. And as I was looking at them more closely, I'm like, where are the black people? Mm-hmm. You know, there were black women as part of the suffrage movement. And so, and there was actually dialogue going on among certain, you know, communities, mostly in the academic community. And so I started looking about like, where is the representation of mm-hmm. black women who were in the suffrage movement. So I just started thinking, well, maybe we can do something in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Illinois has a very unique history when it comes to the suffrage movement that most people don't know about. And so I wanted that story to be much, much better known. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's incredible. I, I'm really curious as to like what's next for you. You know, it's funny because I think, I feel like one thing kind of leads to another. It's not like I have this grand plan, like a 10-year plan or something. I pretty much just go like one project at a a time. So, for instance, the suffrage murals, um, I feel like, okay, now the murals are finally up. I mean, Mm -hmm. they only took four years to do a one-year project. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) But now they're up and so i feel like okay so now what we can can what can we do like we can create walking tours we can create audio tours we can um encourage kids to write skits about these women and so i feel like there's a lot we can build off of mm-hmm. with those murals as the jumping off point um and then i i just have visions of like well maybe we can spread this across the state yes. of illinois and talk about the suffragists that were in different parts of the state central illinois southern illinois mm-hmm. um and then sp- uh, sp- expanded out to the elected officials who were the first women yes. elected in each um office i mean we could just go on and on and i'm like i don't know i mean i need like a gazillion dollars to do <laughs> yes. all of the projects that i think are possible yes yes well thank you for your commitment thank you for i mean just being an all-around pioneer in your own right and i really appreciate the work that you do so thank you for being here today thank you to follow michelle's work visit her site mldrights.com after this short break We'll be back with Brianna Parker, Senior Director of the Justice 40 Accelerator. Brianna Parker works at Elevate, a nonprofit organization whose programs, policy agendas, and partnerships support and activate efforts towards equitable access to and use of clean and efficient energy. Among additional partners, the Climate Justice Advocate is home to the Justice 40 Accelerator. Brianna, welcome to Public Narrative, a word. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Absolutely. So help me understand, you know, your background. You studied law. Yes. And from studying law and, you know, completing your studies there and becoming an attorney, you are now a climate justice advocate. Like, help me understand that trajectory. Yes. So I studied social work first. Okay. And I was an organizer in Detroit, um, working on various issues, including water and energy access before I went to law school. But I saw like how social work, connecting communities to resources and the added need of just being an advocate was 
important. So I went to law school. And when I went to law school, I studied labor and employment law. And part of that was understanding race and affirmative action, like the implications of the 14th Amendment. Mm -hmm. And also uh, just the rights of workers. Uh, I took an air pollution class that like highly affirmed the, the need to get into the area of climate justice. And I had a professor encourage me. It was important and it all tied to labor because it's a worker transition right now. Mm -hmm. We're moving from uh, dirty energy to clean energy sources mm -hmm. and things are like dying. There are lots of company towns. I'm from Detroit, Michigan, which is a company town. Like mm -hmm. the UAW is heavy, all the automakers. And across the country in Appalachia, it's uh, coal that's now transitioned and communities are having to figure out what does that mean in terms of investment because when these companies close and leave the community has they have to figure it out so i see the ties and i understand and and so i don't think it's different i think it's so similar in a lot of what you're saying especially as you mentioned um uh, affirmative action we've seen the recent reversal of affirmative action in college admissions is there any correlation that you see as far as you know advancing equity in the climate justice uh, arena so the justice 40 accelerator exists to to help and accelerate organizations black brown low income uh, in those communities specifically so it's kind of kind of it's, it's an affirmative action sure. um program and so in following the affirmative action case i don't think the case like changes things in a way that we have to like we can't organize to continue to make the real changes that we need to make Absolutely. And we see that even um, on in the admissions uh, cases where you have or in the case of admissions where you have institutions that are continuing to uphold the very standards that they were leaning on, even under that precedent. Yes. Um, so just in looking at, you know, having change makers and difference makers in the right spaces, who are some of the difference makers that make up the Justice 40 Accelerator? For the past two years, it's been 101 organizations that have received programming through the Justice 40 Accelerator and actually won federal funding mm -hmm. to implement in their communities, which is a different phase. You mm -hmm. know, it's new. It's new, right? Like mm -hmm. the Justice 40 Accelerator was like, oh, we have this Justice 40 initiative where 40% of the benefits um, has to go into disadvantaged communities. That's beautiful. But the Justice 40 Accelerator, like the senior leadership of the organizations represented said, hey, that's a beautiful thing. Um, words are, are beautiful, action is supreme. Yeah. We had to figure out how that can actually happen. And so that's why the Justice 40 Accelerator exists. And I'd have to say like the community organizations that's in the community that know what's going on, that's trying to actively engage uh, with public officials and change things in their communities to like meet the need of like the worker transition that's happening right now. Yes. So I'd say they are the ones and everybody before are the ones we're looking forward to our third cohort mm -hmm. um, happening in the next couple of weeks. So we're excited about that. And at the same time, it's going to be new because we're all new and we're going to all learn from each other and continue mm -hmm. this fight 
but it's not a fight. It's co- it's like a come together. Sure. Like we now coming together. So it's not a fight. Sometimes it's a fight to come together, but we figure it out. Yeah. What's well, a fight of the issue, right? To join forces in fighting the issue around climate, uh, sustaining climate justice. Yeah. And sustaining ourselves. Like that's housing. That's the food. It's all of it. It's all of those things. Mm-hmm. So how long do you imagine Justice 40 Accelerator uh, will sustain? That that's a that's an interesting question, and I'll say uh, one more time that it's a co it's a co directorship yes. in the yes. accelerator. Yes, and so what that means is like we're acceler- we're accelerating each other, like we're working, we're understanding what it means to be a good partner, we're understanding a lot of things in terms of how long it will last. Uh, until I don't want to say until like climate justice is really realized. But the theory, the thought, like the consciousness, because that is also a part of this, like the consciousness raising. So like government can understand like, hey, um, these these communities that have been disinvested in are now at the table and ready and like organized to get and like coming together. Mm-hmm. That's a consciousness. And mm-hmm. so that consciousness is going gonna, gonna to live forever. Absolutely. <laughs> like until like, yeah. Absolutely. So the consciousness in terms of like programming, we're going to we're figuring it out like it's uh, the third year. Mm -hmm. And so we will come to consensus and see where we are. Also, like thinking about um, thinking about federal work is big. And so like when people think about a federal election, and they're going and they're like, ah, oh, I'm voting for president. And then they miss like what's in their community. So a similar, like how can we get into communities like Chicago is in the Midwest and how can Chicago talk to uh, folks in Gary, Indiana, folks in Detroit, Michigan. So I, I think pivoting and figuring out where uh, we can be uh, relevant and helpful is where we are. Thank you. Thank so you. I ain't answer your question, but I just want to say, like, it's a consciousness. Well, we'll pick right back up after this break. Hi, I'm Bianca Cotton, host of Behind the Confidence Smile. Tune in Monday at 7.30 p.m. as I discuss with Pam about raising a black boy into a king. The growth imperative for our young people. They won't know who they are or whose they are without understanding their elders. You can watch on CanTV19, CanTV.org, and CanTV Plus app. Welcome back to Public Narrative A Word. Brianna, you gave us some context around the structure of the Justice 40 Accelerator. So help us understand who are some of the other organizations who are a part of the Accelerator. Yeah, so, so we have a, a core team that set out the Accelerator where there were some partners that, um, that, are, that started it but aren't, are no longer there um, and we want to honor them. But the current partners that's on the Accelerator that, that lead it uh, are Elevate, um, the Solutions Project, and partnership for Southern Equity. Beautiful. And so in this in this work, give us a sense of like how it originated. I understand there's the Justice 40 initiative that is supported by the Biden-Harris administration, but the Justice 40 Accelerator ultimately aims to accelerate the initiative. In what way do you imagine that happens? Yeah, 
So, so like, so I said earlier, the that forty percent of investments in communities, and there is federal funding available. However, organizations have never uh, accessed these funds, and so um, the uh, the the founding organizations, the the leaders, uh, went out and made it possible, like like knew that hey, if this is coming and they've never experienced this, in order to really like be reparative, uh, ensure restorative justice, we have to go out and make sure that this happens so that they can uh, meet the need of the moment and be in the be in the in the meetings, understand where they need to be. Um, we all figuring it out together, though, essentially, because this is all new. This is a pioneering moment, like to have 40 percent of the benefits, because before it wasn't even a thought. It wasn't even a question. It was an intentional like uh, disinvestment. Mm -hmm. And so uh, now it's this intentional investment. And so. The Justice 40 Accelerator at that time said, how can we also be intentional like, and, mm -hmm. and build ourselves? What measures do you all have in place to ensure that this movement building is sustainable? To apply for the Accelerator, you have to have a project. Um, and so applying for the actual grant, meeting with federal offices and getting to know like the or like the different departments, uh, mm -hmm. whether it's water, whether it's energy efficiency, whether it's land, um, organizations have different projects. And so they get to meet with those federal agencies to understand more about the different um, ways that they can apply and the different offerings. Uh, and then technical assistance. So when they are ready to apply for the actual grant, mm -hmm. they can go in their community and hire a grant, um, somebody to help them write the grant and prepare the grant so that they can use it. So uh, that's what we offer. And I think what we offer, and then we've had two cohorts. And so we've learned more about the, what it means to be connected because partnerships are so important at this time. Uh, that's how we're meeting the need. That's incredible. So as I'm listening to you, I, I'm, I'm, I'm imagining that you all have really, you've laid the foundation through the accelerator and you're allowing for a community to then weigh in on how you track the progress. And you're also able to lean on one another, I would imagine as, you know, support um, for the work that's happening in other areas. Yeah, because it's a lot of things also happening that's like parallel. And so sure. seizing those opportunities and, and really getting the understanding and like mapping it out together is also a part of our process. Sure. Now you're a Detroit native and over the break we were talking a little bit about like the just the, the history of Detroit um, as you as you share from being a labor town and really focusing on you know where Detroit is presently. How do you imagine uh, the justice as justice 40 accelerator might support advancements in Detroit? I love Detroit. It's it's home. It's where I was born and raised, and it, also, it always teaches me to be aware and conscious of the moment. So Detroit is well organized. It's been organizations that's been on the ground for years and years, and across Michigan. But Detroit is definitely a, a organizing hub. There have been organizations that have been a part of the accelerator from Michigan and have won federal dollars, and so. 
going back to Michigan, um, always thinking about Detroit, but going back to Michigan and really thinking about local, what mm-hmm. could, how could, how can we work together across the state in a very localized way? Um, it's something that like, we're thinking widely about. Are there things that are happening here in Chicago that help to influence what the accelerator, you know, encourages for other projects across the country? In Chicago, there has there has been like lots of movement just in the state, like the state, like the the Clean Energy Jobs Act has been something that has been super explosive and model policy uh, across the country, especially in the Midwest. And so seeing that legislation move and like be implemented is definitely something that I think the Midwest is thinking about. Um, and it's definitely encouraging. I think some of the federal programs also like are providing avenues for similar things to happen in, in other places like in Michigan. Sure. And I asked that those questions uh, about Michigan, about Detroit, uh, partic- and, and particularly, you know, about what's happening here in Chicago and what that looks like and it being scaled in other parts of the country because Chicago historian Dilla uh, always says that uh, everything dope comes from Chicago. So, Oh, you to... say that too. <laughs> <laughs> the best things come from Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> so to know that um, that Chicago, of course, is, is, is leaving a mark in that way and just really thankful for the work that you all are doing over at Elevate. I want to thank you, Brianna, for joining me today on the show, as well as thanking um, our, our guest earlier, Michelle Duster. Uh, but for, for more information about the Justice 40 Accelerator, visit justice40accelerator.org and make sure to follow po- All Things Public Narrative by visiting publicnarrative.org and following us at Public Narrative on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and X, formerly known as Twitter. This has been Public Narrative, a word with Jamira Alexander. See you next time. <laughs>